Hello, lovely people, and welcome back to yet another episode of Bad at Magic, a podcast where we talk about how we're not good, and that's okay, because who likes being good? I don't. Uh, that was a poetry slam intro. It was. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> little little tap on the drum for you. There you go. Dude, little golf clap. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are we talking about this week, Chase? This week, we are going to be talking about the evolution of our decks and kind of how they have evolved over time. How, you know, what our first few decks kind of looked like, what they look like now, why we changed them, reasons and shenanigans of the sort and such like that. Yeah, and, and hopefully there is some nugget of advice or nugget of just clarity that might help you in refining your decks or burning down the house and just restarting from scratch because it turns out all along you didn't like your decks anyways and you know maybe you'll find something here that you do like and you do grasp onto because i know this is this is something that like i go through like every expansion or like every other expansion it's just mm-hmm. i i aggressively Marie Kondo my decks like yeah I only I only keep decks together that outright spark joy and Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm constantly grabbing and playing I don't want I don't want a deck to just sit there and collect dust so I'm really glad you said that because um I very much admire the people who have 15 decks, 12 decks, 20 decks. I admire you. I admire you. I don't stick to a number where I'm like, I am only allowed to have this many decks. That's not what I do. But I find myself naturally um, sticking to around six-ish. I never go past six. And that's not because I'm like, okay, six and I'm done. It's just, I find that my attention span can handle six. And then I, I, I kind of fall out of love with another deck and I kind of take it apart. And it's very, it's a very interesting process uh, doing that because, like, I I do that if I don't reach for a deck as much anymore, if I don't really enjoy playing it, or it kind of gives me a weird fuzzy like brain feeling, like I don't really want to play it anymore. I'll uh, sell it to my LGS, keep the parts that I feel like might be good for other decks, and then just build wait something, for something new to try again. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, I I will try to rework a deck before taking it apart. Like I'll, you know, I'll do surgery on it and figure out, okay, like this is what I didn't like about it. And I'll try and cut that out mm. and then like splice something new into it. But yeah, sometimes it, it, it doesn't work. I always have a Saskia deck built, but this is the first time in a while where I just, I haven't had one put together that I've enjoyed. Yeah. That's actually very interesting. Cause I, when I first started to get to know you as a person, you were like the Saskia person. Like that I was still am. Thing. There's, there's nothing that really stands out to me right now. Like, I feel like I've done, I've, I've done it all at this point. And I've done things that I've done things with Saskia that you just shouldn't do or shouldn't be able to do. I've done things I'm not proud of. <laughs> I have a, I have a specific set of skills that allows me to create Saskia decks that shouldn't exist. And they're tons of fun, but they're tons of fun, like four times. And then, then I'm done with it. So I'll yeah. go on and I'll I'll build the next thing and the next thing. Like I've done I've done everything from like Wild Pair, which is like the the deck that started it all. Jim keeps his Wild Pair deck together, but Jim is the type of person who's got a bunch of decks built and mm-hmm. engages with deck building and playing his decks in a lot more healthy of ways than we do. Yeah. So, you know, it's cool for him to keep that together and that's a deck that like constantly evolves because there's constantly new sevens that get printed yeah Uh, like every set always gives you like four or five new cards to evaluate there's always something new that kind of Mm -hmm. draws the eye the deck is literally built around hyper specific tutors so yeah you are kind of pushed in a certain direction to play it a certain way or the play pattern just it, it's very repetitive and linear. Like, oh, I'm always going and grabbing Greenbelt Rampager. Oh, I'm always going and grabbing Aurelia the War Leader. You're constantly told to grab certain things. Well, that's why I took apart my shrines deck. Like mm-hmm. I literally had a shrines deck. I fell in love with it. Because I, at first, 
you were able to like, um, you know, it, it would play the same and yet it would play differently each time. Like there's, there's enough shrines now that you get an interesting kind of, of, of game experience. But after like the first three games, that novelty wore off and I just felt like I kept doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And that just got very boring to me. Um, and as much as I appreciated the deck a lot and the theme, hyper-specific themes like that, I can't do anymore. It's why I don't do, um, it's why I don't do sort of like, you know, theme decks with like angels or elves or, or goblins. It's like, they're fun and they're cool. But after a while I get very bored because they play the same way every single time. Yeah, I... I don't th like. I don't think I've ever built a deck built around a specific creature type, except for mm -hmm. dragons, and that's yeah. just because I wanted. I wanted to have a good deck that I could bring to events that was like, it was safe and it was fun to lend out to people. Like, oh, this is a dragon deck. Have you if yeah. you've never played a dragon deck? Like, this is just a fun one, a fun one to give a try. Yeah, and who's like who's not gonna like playing just a fun dragon deck no. i think but i don't just, i don't really play it myself well i i think those kinds of decks are very good for for new players like mm -hmm. introing them into magic because those types of um deck strategies are very i think good to grasp and easy to grasp onto as a newer player like if you if you're either within your first year of magic or it's like your first week of magic i think those kinds of decks are easier to pick up because the synergies are so strong and they introduce a lot of things that um you know i think after a while when you become a little bit more seasoned i think it becomes a little less exciting because if you're consistently able to do the thing then it gets kind of, for me personally, I like to struggle. I like a deck building challenge. I like to choose something where it's not like, you know, A leads to B leads to C consistently every time, mm -hmm. you know, that, but that's just me. I I'm very weird. I, I'm kind of a, uh, what is it? Mesa masochistic <laughs> with my deck building. <laughs> I don't like know. That. Something like that. I, I know that word from the twilight novel. If I used it wrong, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and like I like I know I could switch the commander in the dragons deck from Tiamat to something else like yeah. uh, like Okagachi or something, or um was it Owl? Is that the five mana one that's like white or whatever? Am yeah, that's mono white. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's only so many like five color dragon commanders that you can pick, and I think Morphon isn't necessarily the most exciting. Um, Whereas Tiamat allows a new player or something like that to, you know, flip through the deck. It's like, oh, this dragon looks cool. Or mm -hmm. um, Miram. Miram's awesome. I've always wanted to play Miram, so I'm going to search for that and get that mm -hmm. in my hand. It's not something that I find myself grabbing, like, if we're playing on stream or something like that. Yeah. I'm probably not going to play that deck. Yeah. I'll do it if people want me to, but yeah. if it's not my first choice. And, like, that's usually a sign that I should take a deck apart or make changes yeah. to it. Yeah. But I just I can't bring myself to make to make changes to this deck or take it apart for whatever yeah. reason. I'm starting to feel that way, and I'm a little concerned because I don't want to feel this way about this deck. But I'm starting to feel that way about my Alibu deck because I love my Alibu deck. You know, it's very sentimental to me. It was one of the first uh, deck building streams I did where I feel like I kind of helped shaped a little bit of how an Alibu deck is supposed to look because um, I. I feel like I was one of the first people to, to brew it. Like when it was, when it was previewed and, you know, we kind of got something like shaped with like, you know, infect and grafted exoskeleton and stuff. Um, I'm not saying that I like completely like, you know, built it and whatever, whatever, but like, I feel like I had a very larger part in it. Um, and then I played it on extra turns and I won with it on extra turns. So it's very sentimental to me in that regard too. But like, I find myself gra gravitating towards it, towards it less and less. And I'm not sure why, cause it doesn't fit with that thing we talked about where oh it plays the same because it doesn't it, you know it, it it's very much yeah you scry but it's still there's a level of randomness to it and there's no i don't have any tutors in there to my knowledge at the moment that deck scries like 15 cards at a time yeah yeah that's like basically a tutor it's just a tutor for the top 15 cards of your of your deck yeah, yeah. it is deceptively consistent yeah. And because it's very, you know, column A, column B, column C in terms yeah. of like its combos and synergies, that combined with, you know, so many scries and so much card draw and so much synergy, 
it is going to feel linear and consistent at a certain point. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think I think a really great contrast in that is like, look at my Elminster deck. That is a deck very focused on scries, but you can play it in multiple ways. Like the scries aren't, aren't just like, okay, I'm going to put whatever into my hand next turn and play big spell. You can do that. But sometimes I want to make fairy dragon tokens with that. Or sometimes I want to cast an expropriate. That's two mana. Like you can do these things in different ways with Elminster um, mm-hmm. because the way that he is written, he's a very dynamic commander. He can go one way or he can go the other. Whereas I feel like with Alibu, it's like pretty, pretty linear in that regard. I don't know. It's kind of a, a, a thing I've noticed with my, with my decks. So, so would you say Elminster has turned into what you wish Alibu would be? I would say no, because Elminster plays out so differently than Alibu. There's the same basic concept of like scrying there that I really appreciate, but um, Alibu feeds that non-combat damage that kind of nurtures my soul because I really like playing red. I really like non-combat damage. Elminster makes me play, I would say, more smart. I feel like I can kind of play Alibu in a loosey-goosey way, you know, and I can still, like I can be invested in the game, but I don't have to be laser focused in. But with Elminster, I feel like I have to be laser focused in because there's a lot of different cogs that I have to pay attention to, not just... um, on the board around me, but also with how many scries do I have? How many activations of Elminster do I have? Am I able to cast um, this expropriate and also cast this um, Aminatu's augury? Can I can I get two times as many fairy dragons as I wanted to with an anointed procession? Can I? Mm-hmm. It, it's just like there's a lot of different things. Whereas with Alba, it's like move sideways, swing, stack my deck, wait for the next turn, play the way, play the card I stacked my deck with, move sideways, swing, so on and so forth. So I feel like it's it's it, they're just two different things, but they're they're focused around the same thing. I think that's why it's a kind of a good example is one is very um one allows me to kind of be more chill with with my presence in the board state whereas the other one really isn't cuz like with Albo I run like a million mana rocks. So I don't have to worry about recasting yeah. Albu. I can just do that and, and be fine, you know? Versus Elminster, that's a planeswalker. So you, there's a little bit more there's a little bit more of an investment in yeah. keeping it protected and keeping it doing the thing. I mean, I was just I was just thinking like you play like you play cards like long-term plans and approach the second sun. So you, yeah. not only are you stacking your deck, but you're stacking your deck like three cards down or like seven cards down. Yeah very specifically so you are planning like two or three turns in advance on top of you know what you're doing in the moment or on top of those decision trees to either cast the big spell or make the dragons instead like yeah every every decision has more than two options to it versus you know some of some of these decks and i you know i have the same deck i have the same you know style of deck stewards it's very black and white versus shades of gray with all of your decisions. Yeah. There's definitely a lot with it. And I feel like when we look at the comparison of like Alibu and Elminster specifically, again, not to beat this horse dead, but like with Alibu, if Alibu gets removed, I can just recast Alibu for really cheap because again, I have all those mana rocks, but I don't even have to swing with Alibu to get Alibu's ability to trigger. It's just any artifact creature. Whereas I need to have Elminster in order to do the thing. So one deck is very reliant on me kind of playing smart and having that commander. The other one, I don't even... I don't even need to swing with the commander to get the value. It just mm-hmm. does it. As long as I have one artifact creature that can swing and everything else is tapped, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm winning. I'm doing something. I'm going to hurt face, stack my deck, do whatever. But I feel like that's something interesting that I kind of just noticed too, is one is very dependent on the commander and the other one is to a certain extent, but you know, I don't even need to do the thing with the commander to do the thing. I I've always been this type of person. Um, like I want my decks to feel like they're that commander's deck. Like I don't want it to feel like I can switch it out for any other commander mm-hmm. and have it feel the same or have it yeah. do the same thing. You know, I want my Saskia deck to feel like a Saskia deck. I want my um I want my dragon deck to feel like a dragon deck. I want I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of the decks that I've had over the years and yeah. there's a lot of a lot of Saskia decks. There is a lot of Saskia because you're the Saskia guy. I, I am. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm going to my mox field right now and I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the decks that I've had over the years and it's like Saskia, Saskia, Saskia. <laughs> uh, okay. Here, here's, here's an actual good example. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had, and I gifted, I gifted this deck, uh, last year or earlier this year to Corey. Uh, I had yeah. a Halana Elena deck. I remember that deck. That, I love that deck so much. It was the best $40 deck I've ever made. Uh, did not play like a $40 deck, but it really felt like a Halana Elena deck. You know, yeah. you, you knew like, okay, this deck has a very focused premise. It doesn't need the commander to do the thing, but when the commander is out there present and affecting the game, you really feel the impact. Uh, I, I like building decks where Halana Elena feels like a Halana Elena deck. Anafenza humans feels like an Anafenza humans deck and so yeah. on and so on versus, you know, and I, I've been very vocal about my opinion on like the partner mechanic versus just picking any two Abzan color combination of, of creatures and doing that for um, partners or just doing like, you know, Tana Ragrak for uh partners and Halana Elan and stuff like that. I want I want that commander to feel like it's there for a reason rather than just there for the colors. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm struggling with focusing a deck's identity, I will try and switch the commander or I will try and you know make that commander more more synergistic with the strategy. You know, either it's a payoff for the strategy or it's the setup for the strategy. Uh, and I know, I know, Saskia. A lot of people look at Saskia and she's like, "Oh, it's she's just there for the for the four colors." No, there's a lot of cool, intricate things that you can do with Saskia because of yeah. the trigger that you have experienced with your Sisse deck. Yes, uh, yes, I have. With the way that she interacts with Gisela. Yeah, that's my win con. It's, it's a life changing experience. Yeah. Be able to deal double damage and then quad it essentially mm -hmm. is kind of amazing, and I love that. <laughs> and like you can you can play like a generic quote unquote like four color beatsy deck with Saskia, but you can have these extra cards in there like your Gisela, like your Infect cards or your Lifelink cards, and like get the extra synergy out of her trigger to make yeah. that Saskia deck feel like a Saskia deck because her trigger is doing extra for you. Yeah. Um, whereas you could you could just pick Tana Timna or like Bruce Tarl and Ikra Shidiki instead. Like you yeah. could do that. When it when it comes to partner, I I kind of agree with that. I I, I like partner with. I like backgrounds because mm -hmm. they're. I think they. I think backgrounds should have been the way that it partner should have been implemented originally, um, because there there's just a good balance to it, particularly with um, you know, if your commander is out, then your background is essentially if, if your commander is not out, I should say, then your background is essentially useless, and I like that. It's just there. Yeah. But I also like that your background counts as uh, counts with commander attacks, counts with stuff like um, Fury Storm, counts with 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 stuff like um, if someone steals if someone steals your commander and you have a background, that background technically does follow that commander. I mm -hmm. like that. I think that's fun. Um, but I, I would agree about that with, with stuff like that. With with background in particular, I like that they're hyper specifically written and yes. like very yeah. niche in terms of what they do. Yeah. So if I did want to make a change to that deck, one of the biggest changes that I could make to a background deck is just switching the background. Yeah. And there's like what eight or eight or ten uh, different backgrounds for each color. There's I a lot. Say, or yeah. an, enough that you have a variety of decisions that you could make to make a change to the deck. Yes. If you, you know, say you didn't vibe with, I think the black one, one of the black ones is called Haunted One. Uh, haunted One, you have Cultus of the Absolute. That's yeah. another. I mean, there's I know, a lot like of those. Those two are like the really popular. Yeah. Um, haunted One's amazing because it gives your stuff uh, undying. It's good for, for those theme decks. Um, Cultus of the Absolute is just good to just make your commander kind of big and scary um with an interesting ward cost that i think is kind of fun there's just like a lot of different ways that you can build those kinds of decks that you wouldn't be able to do necessarily i think with like partner if i just didn't want to take the easy way out 
quote unquote, and just pick the objectively like best background. Mm. Uh, I I have I have that option, and that'll fundamentally change the way that my deck is played. Maybe I enjoy the challenge of making a different background work with yeah. the same ninety eight. I'm really glad that you said that specifically because we were we were literally talking about this before we started recording because we were I was pouring through my secret layers. Uh, that I got from the 30th anniversary countdown drop. And uh, I was talking about how I was thinking of taking out the Elspeth. Uh, I think it's what Elspeth Knight Errant in my mm-hmm. in my say deck. Um, and the reason why I want to take it out is because I actually feel like it it makes the deck too linear. Um, because at first I was like, yeah, I have I think I'm gonna take Elspeth out because she makes me win automatically. And you're like, how? And I was like, well, you know, Elspeth is a four mana creature. I can get pretty consistent because I run a lot of creatures that are multicolored in this deck. Yeah. So I can pretty consistently hit the threshold of five for yeah. say to tutor for that four drop, which will take Elspeth from a five, uh, not Elspeth, but takes to say from a five to an eight because Elspeth has a plus one ability that gives a target creature three, three. So that makes Sisse, uh an eight, power toughness creature which allows me to tutor for Gisela which is one of my main win cons in the deck and that gets boring after a while it's the objectively good play but it's boring to for me to do that objective good play so consistently I've noticed that I almost want to take it out just so I don't have access to it anymore and that brings up a very interesting point like there like you've cited two examples of two you know good cards to go get yeah and sometimes sometimes you only have a replacement for one of them. So how do you make the decision to cut one card versus another? Because like you said, Gisela is one of the main ways that you win the game. And just based on how your deck is built, there's not really a lot of ways for you to find win conditions because you're inherently limited with your card pool. Yeah. And, you know, you want your Sissé deck to feel like a Sissé deck. Like, there are very few Secret Lair Legends that you can find as a win con. So yeah. you're you're almost correct in saying, it, in fact, you are correct in saying it's actually Elspeth that's supposed to get cut here, not yeah. Sissé. Or, sorry, yeah. not, um, not Gisela. Gisela, yeah. Whereas a lot of people might say, oh, you cut the Gisela. Well, if you cut the Gisela, how is that deck actually going to win from there? Yeah, it's a, it gets a lot harder. You need a lot more stuff to make up for the fact that you don't have a Giselle, and that's a that's a completely different like tangential conversation of you know that's actively powering down the deck. You know, maybe a deck is too powerful, mm-hmm. but you want you want to show with this particular deck that a secret layer exclusive deck can be a, a powerful deck. So. That's something I definitely want to do, but I'm really glad that you highlighted of like, which one do you take out, Gisela or Elspeth? But like when you look at Sisse, you already have such a powerhouse in the command zone because she is a tutor, which is yeah. why I really appreciate her. You get any card that you want at all yeah, times. Essentially. But here's the deal. Sisse in her in itself, she is very limited because she can only go up naturally by herself by five. She hard stops at seven, meaning I can only get creatures with mana value six or less, which I really like because a lot of my quote unquote powerhouse cards are seven or eight. Seven, eight, yeah. Yeah, like I have, uh, we, we talked about Gisela. I have a Chroma in here for funsies. She's an eight, yeah. I like her, I like her. And sometimes with Elspeth, I will get a Chroma because it's fun because I can get her up to nine if I have like that Ajani out that gives a, a counter on my stuff. But like, I feel like with having a tutor already in the command zone, that is such a powerhouse in itself that to kind of, uh, you know, on turn four, get like a seven drop onto the battlefield. It's not even cast. It's put onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Boom, it's there. That just feels kind of gluttonous to me for my own play style. You know, that that feels that feels like... I feel like there's a difference between something being super powerful and something being very linear. And I think this is a really interesting cross section between those two points because it is only as powerful as I, as I build it. This deck is only as powerful as I, as I wish it to be because I literally have the option to get whatever I want, whenever I want in the command zone. I mean, that that's any deck in general, but that sentiment is just amplified by the fact that Sissé is Sissé. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. There's like a lot of there's there's a lot of commanders out there like Yisan, Tiamat, uh, just basically any any legendary that says search your library for something. Oh, yes. Is oh. just gonna inherently change the deck building process or your sentiment yeah. towards a deck in general. Exactly. Um, With Tiamat, I would get the same. What like Tiamat gets five? I would get. I would literally get the same five dragons every time I play Tiamat. You go get Miram. You go get Old Nawbone. You go get Clouth. And ancient then, Copper Dragon for me. I would get Ancient Copper Dragon. Yeah, I I get Dragonlord Colligan because it's a haste enabler. Yeah, Clouth is great. Yeah, that deck is amplified in the fact that I run Hunting Grounds. So not only am I getting five dragons to hand, but if I have seven cards in my graveyard because it uh, because of the threshold effect, yeah. if an opponent casts a spell, I just put that card into play. Mm-hmm. So not not only am I getting those cards to hand, but they're consistently getting dumped into play. And that's a very fun, riveting experience for someone who's never experienced that before. Yes. But it's too cool and too not fun for me not to play it. Yeah. For someone else's sake, whether you've never played against a hunting ground stack before or whether you're a new player and have never seen this card from like 1997. Yeah. Like it's it's proof that there are diamonds in the rough from the mid to late 90s in terms of magic cards, because most 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 commander cards that we see nowadays are all new cards. Yeah, there's there's some good sleeper hits. I will always live and die by Douthy Embrace as being one of my favorite uh, ways to make a creature unblockable because it gives your it's a repeatable enchantment that gives your creature shadow. And I think out of all the new cards we we have got recently in recent printings, there's only been one shadow creature printed recently. And I think that was Douthy Voidwalker, mm-hmm. I wanna say. Yeah. And do you see that often? I don't. <laughs> it's uh it's a very intense card and i feel like the tables that we play at tend to not play effects like that which is why yes. we haven't really seen it but if you're you know if you play like cedh or if you play like very cutthroat casual uh then it, it's very very common to see mm-hmm. that but you're playing it for the text box it just happens to also have shadow yeah it's a little so I, I think that's part of it too yeah are there things that you did long ago that you just don't do with your decks anymore? Like you, how you've evolved as a deck builder uh, rather than as like a player in general. I know this is, this is a little bit more like nuts and bolts, but I, yeah. I, I can definitely think that I have fundamentally changed as a, as a builder um, mm. just like leaving out certain cards uh, over the years that I used to say, I can't build a deck without this card. Yeah. For me, it's a little weird because the answer is like, yeah, there's some things. Um, I, so I used to be like a Stark, like before I build anything, I'm going to go to EDA track and see it. I don't mm-hmm. do that anymore. Um, I don't, um, I don't typically just grab the first thing that someone tells me and run it anymore. Cause I used to be like, Hey, what should I run? in X list in my, you know, whatever list. And they would say, Oh, you should run fire servant. I'm like, okay, I'm running fire servant. Duh. Like, I, I don't know for me. It's, it's weird because I, I, I'm more personal with my deck building process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really try to look at things from multiple different angles. If I can, I really don't. Um, I'm not as knee jerk as I used to be. Like my first ever commander deck was a Niv Mizzet fire mind. Why was it a Niv Mizzet fire mine, you asked? Because when I first learned about what Commander was, I walked into my LGS, I looked at the owner, Dale. Hi, Dale. Shout out, Dale. Um, and I was like, what is the strongest Commander? And he looked at me and he goes, it's Niv Mizzet fire mine. And I went, okay. <laughs> and that's how I built Niv. Yeah, was because sure. I just asked and he was like, this is the most powerful. And I'm like, well, this, this strange man is telling me it's powerful, so it must be true. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that anymore. Niv, Niv fire mine's very good. Yeah, it was uh, like 2015, I think, that I asked that question too. So <laughs> still, like, people have moved to Niv Perun. Yeah, but you know, for the most part, that the 99 of that deck has mostly stayed the same. Yeah, it's uh, it's really funny too because the the graduation for me, I started out with Niv Farmine, and one of my favorite decks is the Locust God, and I, I think that's, that's a very cool. natural evolution for right? for that deck. <laughs> 
there's going to be a different flavoring to it. But the the central strategy is still the same. Do damage oh, yeah. and draw cards. It's just how, exactly. how you're doing it is is a big way that it changes. Yeah. And I think that's something that people can consider when, you know, they might not necessarily vibe with a commander, but they vibe with the strategy. Yeah. Sometimes just changing <clears throat> the commander and then changing that, like, 10 or 12 cards that that commander wants to kind of round out their specific text box mm -hmm. makes the biggest difference in the world. Oh, a thousand percent. Like there are some people who I feel like hate Locust God, but they're like super into Nekuzar mm -hmm. or like they, um, there are certain people who are like, I, man, I really like token decks. I don't like risk the redeemed, but I really love me like what, like a Tristani, Tristani makes mm -hmm. tokens, right? Like they like, it's, Tristani it's just populates. Like, yeah, 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 populates. Like there's like, for instance, some people may be like, oh, I like populate because it only gives me one token at a time. Whereas with, with, with Reese, I can just like board sweep essentially with, with tokens. So it's like, you know. This gets interesting because I have a Gearid deck in particular yeah. and Reese and Gearid are like two peas in a pod. The difference with Reese and a like populate commander like Tristani and Girid is mm -hmm. Reese has the double all of your stuff yeah. in the command zone versus Tristani and Girid that have to put second harvest or the token doubler in their 99. And I mean yeah. you probably you probably put the token doubler and second harvest in Reese's 99, but not having instant access to it at all times mm -hmm. is gonna change the play experience and the play pattern for the deck it's it's a little bit more in the like old like old spirit of commander where it wasn't happening all the time it would happen every once in a while so there was a novelty to these very powerful effects yeah and i mean reese is a very old card like reese is from shadow more or that yep. you know, that Lorwyn block so i love you know, i love so reese. reese has been reese has been around for over Hot a decade yep. at this point and i think that there's something to be said about that too. Like, you know, some commanders are just, you've seen it for, for a while. And some people just want that change of pace. Yeah. It's like, this used to be a Reese deck, but now it's Tristani or this Tristani deck that used to be a Reese deck is now my Gira deck because there's mm -hmm. some cool red creatures. Like I wanted, or I wanted to play um, Mirror March yeah. Or the different um, the different cards like Flame Shadow Conjuring, like those just those interest me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, people will, from my experience recently, there's been a movement to just remove colors from their decks and like <clears throat> move from this trend of every every deck is a three color deck down to every you know trying to make a deck a two color deck or a mono color deck because you don't really see those that often anymore. Yeah. I would I would actually say that that's very similar to something I've I've noticed with myself. I used to be super into three color. I felt like three color was like, you know, my jam. It felt like a good comfy place for me. Now I feel very uncomfortable in the three color section. I feel like I feel like two color is 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 where I'm most comfortable at. Mo mm -hmm. uh, Monocolored is like a good starting point for me. But like, I don't know. There's something about. Uh, uh, there's a there's a paralysis of choice when building your deck. At, yep. at three color, four <laughs> color, five color, when you have like 60, 80, or a hundred percent of the card pool at your disposal, yeah, your deck tends to fill itself out a lot more quicker than it would if it was a monocolor deck or a two color deck. Because you just pick all the all the best cards for your strategy in all those different colors. I would say like with Sisse, normally I would be like, oh, Sisse gives me paralysis of choice. But like the thing is, is because the theme is so limited, mm -hmm. I, that that kind of is kind of removed from me because like my yeah. card pool is already so limited. But like I remember one time I tried to build like a Yagantha deck on stream, like literally a year, two years ago, maybe. I don't know. Time is weird. And I remember being like, how in the hell can I choose? There's so many things. <laughs> that was so. And then I found a coalition victory was banned and I got sad. <laughs> so like Je jeggy in particular like because it's five color and it kind of just makes mana like you can yeah. do anything with it but you know the thing that i've seen with jeggy is what if every creature in the jeggy deck had an activated ability so it's just an all activated abilities deck yeah uh 
and then you build around like Jeskai Ascendancy or something like that. Like finding that very, very, very hyper-specific theme where there's probably only like 200 cards to choose from in yeah. total is a major, major, major way to just find a non-linear evolution for a deck. Like you might not want to take apart your Jaggy deck, <laughs> but you want to do something different with it. I'm so glad that you mentioned that specifically because uh, over here, oh God, I just dropped Rick on the floor. That's like a $40 card. I could not uh, roll like, my chair. That's like $60 now. <laughs> I, He's I feel, right. like, okay, I feel like it doubles in price every other day. I'm going to kick it across the floor because it's next to my wheel on my wheelie chair. Okay, R.I.P. Rick. 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 <laughs> so this is, this matters. I have I have a Morophon deck, right? Well, it's not even built yet, but I'm in the process of building this Morophon deck. And it's actually going to be a theme deck. I used to have a tribal tribal deck back in the day. I took it apart because it got boring after a while. This Morophon deck is going to be um, themed around the movie The Thing. And so that is a very limiting theme in itself because I want every single card to make a reference to the movie. So, yeah, it's going to be like humans, but I'm limiting myself to only 12 humans in the deck because there are 12, 12 men. characters. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everything else is going to be changelings. And then all my lands are going to be snow lands and like, it has to be very theme specific. Otherwise it's not going to work for me. Like, um, I have cards like, oh gosh. Um, like, I mean like faceless Haven, like they're in the Arctic. You have, uh, like game trail changeling, you know, it changes into a deer in the movie. The thing changes into a dog. Mm -hmm. You have like mass hysteria, which is literally what, <laughs> what people experience actually it's mass appeal but like crippling fear like these are all themed things that work with this concept of a deck where i could just build you know every single creature is a human and then just do that that's boring to me though i want to limit myself <laughs> by making a deck themed around a movie or i saw somewhere on twitter um zbeck said that she was going to do a deck where uh, every single card in the deck had to have a shade of pink, like a specific Pantone shade of pink, which good luck. Cause for some reason, magic artists don't like to put pinks in their art, but I digress. But, uh, <laughs> certain ones do though. So you're very, you're very limited on the artists them. that you can use. And, yeah. And we love them for doing it. Shout out Johannes Voss. Oh, gosh, Lo yes. Love your color palettes. Give me more pinks, please. I would see so many purples. So that's like definitely, you know, I mean, that's, that's definitely something you can do. It's definitely time consuming though. Like yeah. there's a big time investment for, um, these theme decks or these, you know, hyper restrictive decks. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I first started playing commander, I was incredibly busy. I mean, I'm still incredibly busy these days, but mm -hmm. arguably like more so with like more mentally taxing work. So yeah. when I was trying to evolve my decks or make changes to my decks, I was thinking like, what are quick, simple things that I can either add or remove to my decks to um, spice them up or evolve them into something that I, I vibe with a little bit more. And one of the things that I found was um, decks that don't necessarily have tutors, but still just feel incredibly consistent. Mm -hmm. um, like lands decks in particular, a lands deck wants you to do one thing, just play lands and get more lands and do more lands. So I had a wind grace deck for the longest time. Uh, and I found it was too good at doing the thing. Yeah. But there wasn't real with what I was trying to do with like Valica and scapeshift and stuff like that. You know, there was only, there was really only one way to build that. Um, and I, I tried, you know, just, seeing, okay, what happens if I take the fetch lands out of my decks? And that's something that I just, I don't play fetch lands anymore. Um, I find that I like the jankiness of a jankier mana base and yeah. having fetch land, having mana fixing as a land drop rather than a spell or like an activated ability on a creature is a lot more interesting to me as a brewer and a player. I like that challenge. Yeah, there was a sentiment for the longest time. You know, a lot of people were saying like fetch lands are fantastic in commander. Like you should be running them. Like no, you don't need them. And there there came this movement of hey, actually you don't need fetch lands. But a lot of people weren't putting their deck building where their mouth was. 
And yeah. I was one of those adopters that said, hey, you don't need fetch lines. Actually, it's a lot better to not be playing fetch lines, especially if you're playing FNM or playing under a time crunch or playing on mm -hmm. a stream where you're needing to entertain and that downtime of fetching and searching and everything like that yeah. kind of derails the vibe of the game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. Like just land go is a lot more engaging and keeps you a lot more attentive than play a fetch, crack a fetch, spend two minutes looking for that one specific land yeah. because you have that order of operations in your hand, you know, in your head mm -hmm. to just to, I, I, I need to go grab hollowed fountain and I need yeah. to shock in hollowed fountain so I can do this. Yeah. And we've found workarounds for that. Um, just doing shortcutting. Yeah. But those time crunch cards, I find myself not running anymore and I've evolved those out of my decks. It's usually at the um, behest and the detriment of you that I find a time crunch card that I don't enjoy anymore. Mm -hmm. Like the fabled thousand year storm game. I don't want to talk about that. The it was, so... <laughs> it was cool. It was so cool. It was so cool. But I it felt did war nothing. Torn. I felt it war torn nothing. after that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the... But if, I feel like the same could be said for tutors too. Like mm -hmm. I, I remember there was that article uh, back from whenever brain I don't remember where somebody was like tutors are bad. Let me tell you why. And I was kind of indignant with that at first. I'm like, this just feels like a very mean-spirited thing. I was like, it felt mean-spirited. But then I, I don't know, as as I've grown in my deck building, I feel like I've, I've done the same thing where I used to be like, no, I hate shot. I hate fetches. Uh, they're unaffordable. I can't afford them. I'm not going to run them. And then I started like, you know, being more invested. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll run a couple of fetches. I mean, that, that's a big and, part of it. Like, you're you, if you're playing like a three-color deck to have all yeah. the fetches – because people were people were big on like off color fetches in their decks. So I you're hate basically, off color. Oh, you're basically sorry. saying, "Hey, hmm. your land base at a bare minimum is four hundred dollars. Like that yeah, is incredibly that. financially restrictive. It is, especially back before they were re re reprinted. Yeah. And I mean, they're still expensive now. I consider any card to be above ten dollars expensive in my personal opinion. And I think they're still very unaffordable. But like, there that was the thing, and I. When I used to be on a, when I used to have my deck building stream, people would be like, "Hey, you run your fetches," and they would be like, "Run all of the ones that you can run." I'm like, "No, if I'm going to run a fetch, I'm going to at least, not even at least, I'm going to at most run the on color fetch. That's it." And I feel like with with deck building, and I, I correct me if you think I'm like inaccurate about this, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of Magic players start at one place, like right here, like you can see my hand, and then they're like, "Okay, now I'm here." midway through their magic career and as they get a little bit more seasoned and they come like the most invested they are they're back at the beginning where they were <laughs> i feel very weird I feel like that's where i am i think you're onto something here though there's there's something to be said at a certain point people kind of lose sight on the reason that they were playing in the first place or the reason yeah. that they were building the way they were or intending to build the way they were in the first place yeah in the in the push for optimization and doing as much as possible as quick as possible, people you know maybe lost sight on the fact that the reason why they liked playing commander in the first place is they loved playing big dumb ten drops and like just big unwieldy niche cards that they otherwise couldn't play. Yeah. And as you've optimized your deck or as you've added tutors and all the dorks, all the fetches to fix the mana. These otherwise inaccessible Wooberg cards are now incredibly easy to cast. Or yeah. these inaccessible... The ultimatums. Yeah, the ultimatums used to be yeah. like something you would rarely ever see. Uh -huh. And now, like the Sultai one, Emergent Ultimatum, you, I see it fairly often. Or yeah. the... Ruinous. Um, I see Ruinous frequently, yeah. actually. It's yeah. weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, used to be, that used to be a card. Like even for your stereotypical Mardu deck, you're just never really played. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the newer ones that came out with Ikoria. Like it only just came out in Ikoria. Mm -hmm. But Ikoria kind of coincides, you know, with the beginning of lockdown and the beginning of people playing a lot more commander, a lot yeah. more magic in general. And people just got pushed towards mm -hmm. optimization. So like casting red, red, white, 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 black, black five or six years ago, 
was a yeah. lot harder sentimentally than it is to cast now. Like there's just so much more fixing that people are well, running in their decks. Treasures. We have treasures yeah. now. I mean, tre treasures alone, I think, completely changed the game for all of these, all I of think these so spells. What, what used so, to be uh, impossible is now pretty trivial. fairly easy. Yeah. 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 You have a smothering tide out? Cool. You're good. <laughs> Dockside, like, you're easy. The, the sheer, yeah, the sheer existence of smothering tithe, dockside, professional facebreaker, even yeah. or um, card advantage on a stick. Yeah, crazy. any any of those cards, and those cards are very affordable. All things considered, dockside and smothering tithe aside, you know, all yeah. the other like more innocent treasure making cards that are budget friendly mm -hmm. have made these cards accessible, and I think that's really awesome as as a like from a macro level on the format. I love seeing big, crazy, unique effects being run more often. But when they're run, when they're run really often, they don't feel big and crazy and exciting. Because it's just yeah. like, oh, that's that's a ruinous ultimatum. That's just a good card that we're yeah. we're just we're playing Mardu, so we play that card. I think people have lost sight on these more unique cards. Uh over time and like you said people kind of go back to where they were um evolutionarily yeah when they started playing the format so you're seeing these old like you're seeing old border only uh decks you're seeing azusa decks you're seeing lin civi decks you're seeing mm -hmm. hazaz and tamar decks yeah uh, granted hazaz and tamar is like 300 dollars, so people are playing the new hazaz and tamar and doing something spiritually similar yeah uh, the nostalgia of commander i feel like that the evolution of the format is at the point where nostalgia is back and nostalgia is popular again i i would say that i feel like with with how optimized the format has become in certain aspects a lot of people are um wanting to struggle on purpose mm -hmm. yeah um and I like that. And I know that sounds very weird, but like that, that brings us back to the whole concept of like, like challenge level, like picking, picking a challenge. Like, um, you know, you could like, how the hell am I going to brew a Taniwa deck or how am I going to, to build like, um, the, uh, this random, this random, uh, legend from, um, like cons. That's like a mono red dash commander. It's like something bell striker or whatever, but like Zergo. it's, yeah, Zergo Bells. It's like, how do I how do I do these um these weird things? How do I limit myself in this way? Um, because like the whole reason why I was drawn to Commander was I had so many options to do stupid things, weird things. Uh, like, I mean, like even with new cards, I think you can still do that in a way that's still challenging and interesting. Like, I, there's now a mono white Griffin Commander where you can have a, a deck theme that's all about Griffins. I mean, like there, there's so many ways to do things where like, if you want to like have a Griffin deck, but you don't want to run mask with Nexus, that in itself there is a very interesting challenge for you to do because you deprive yourself of running pretty much anything, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of fun and cool and interesting. Yeah. There, there, there's two schools of thought here. There, <laughs> there's this idea that that niche weird thing that was once something that needed to be jumped through hoops for is now accessible and easy you know, and the novelty has kind of worn off. But at the same yeah. time, hey, that really weird, cool thing that you wanted to do, you can do that. And you don't yeah. have to struggle if you don't want to. There's two sides to that same coin. And I think both sides are equally valid and equally interesting. And the fact that they ex they both exist allows both types of players to be satisfied. And I think at the end of the yeah. day, the accessibility to those ideas is something that has really evolved in the way that I like, I look at the format and I look mm -hmm. at decks. Like if I don't want to struggle with this deck, I don't have to. Um, yeah. I can play the tutors. I can play the fetches. I can play the car. You know, I can play the chew lane in my command zone. I can play the Corvold mm -hmm. in my command zone. Yeah. But I don't have to. And I think that's something that we have to preach is a valid way of looking at things like you don't have to struggle if you don't want to yeah it's it's cool to do the the optimized like very succinct thing yeah i love that i you know i have my primal surge deck that that is my way of scratching that itch same um, with me and my get i have a get deck 
I, I know the ins and outs of it. And that's what I consider like my mm-hmm. cool, like to get the edge on that. Like I have, I have a Kadric super friends deck. That's Boros. I could optimally, 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 op, I could optimally play. <laughs> words, words are hard. I could optimally play Atraxa. I mean, there's no red in there, but that is like the objectively best choice. The red planeswalkers are okay, but like Safari yeah, and Nissa, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Like, you don't have to do that. Yeah, and so I was like, yeah, I could do uh, four color super friends, or even five color super friends with Sisse. Or what if I chose? The- <laughs> Token copies of Planeswalkers with Kadric yeah. that may or may not stay, depending. Like it's just it's just fun to like take a take a stupid theme and roll with it. But like I feel like when I first started playing Magic, I wouldn't have been you know brave enough to attempt that. So mm-hmm. I feel like you know even though I feel like I'm going back to where I started in terms of my my sort of deck building mantra and, and my my goal to to play what makes me happy. Like right now I'm fiddling with um. Oh my God, with Ignacia, which is an illegal commander, by the way. You're technically not allowed to do that. I'm going to do it because it's going to be one of two illegal cards, but that's what I would have done when I first started playing. But, you know, maybe like a year ago, I probably wouldn't have done it because I wanted to adhere to the rules in a way more strict fashion, or I just felt like it just felt like it was cheating to me or whatever. Like there's a number of, of, of different ways. But for me, I feel like the the way that I have, uh, have tackled building commander decks the way I've tackled my 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 pers- my personal mantra with decks in general or commanders in general is I, I want to struggle but in a fun way <laughs> I you, you put it perfectly earlier struggling on purpose is cool and struggling yeah. on purpose is fun yeah and I will add the addendum you don't have to if you don't want to oh a thousand percent if your play group is the type of play group that you like doing powerful things quickly and consistently and you guys are enjoying doing that. I love that for you. Yeah. I really do. What I think is really fun is if you're trying to spice things up with your play group, have a, have a discussion amongst your play group. Like, like why, you know, why do we think things are getting stale? Are like, are things too consistent and then say, okay, next time, next time that we get together, let's cut all the fetches and all of the efficient tutors from our decks, yeah. but play the decks as normal otherwise. And yeah. sometimes a deck might not work and like, that's okay. You know, that, that deck might just not work for this experiment, Yeah. but fine tuning your play experience as a play group is very, very easy because there are so many different things that you can change and change very easily about Commander and about the format. And that's what's so great about Commander is yeah. everything's up to you. I mean, even even the ban list. The ban list is a suggestion for trusted, like, on the same page group play. Yeah. Play prime time and experience prime mm-hmm. time. Play play all the power cards if you, re- if you really want to. Um, and you can evolve your experience that way. I definitely think Commander in itself is a privileged format in the way mm-hmm. that we have the ability to do that, where most other formats, actually I think every other format doesn't really have the ability to do it. Literally, literally every table. other format, yeah. Yeah, every other format has some form of rules that are, are very strict and set in code. And I, I've said this before publicly, but I really appreciate that Commander is, is it feels like the rules aren't, aren't made out of metal or they're not very rigid, they're made out of bamboo. They can kind of bend it's a naturally bending format. It ebbs yeah. and flows. It's mm-hmm. it's flexible. And I feel like we are like we're very privileged to kind of have that format where we can argue the rules in a way that's healthy and fun. We can change our rules depending on if we play with somebody from Milwaukee or if we play with somebody from you know, Ohio, you know? The chances of playing a like an ungame of commander or a no banless game of commander are a lot higher and are gonna happen a lot more often than like no banless modern. Like you yeah. would need a very specific group or a very specific <laughs> event with very specific goals for something yeah. like that. Whereas like you can just text your buddy right now. Hey, mm-hmm. no ban list commander tonight. My place, eight o'clock. BYOB. See yeah. you then. Bring, <laughs> bring your own brews. <laughs> yeah. Bring your own, bring your own commander brews. Yeah. Uh, like that's all, but that's all it takes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
my my LGS is currently running a Popper Commander night, but in a different way. So your you can every single card has to be uh, um like common, mm-hmm. but your commander can be an uncommon, and it doesn't even have to be a legend. It just has to be an uncommon card. Awesome. So yeah. we have I have I have um. Oh my gosh! I believe I believe if I'm so sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but the my the LGS owner Charla, shout out to Charla. Um, I think her commander is Corpse Jack Menace. Um, oh, that's a fun one. That, <laughs> but every that single card dangerous. in her deck is common. Yeah, it does. But she's very limited because of mm-hmm. that. Or like I don't know. I just think that is really cool that a shop can be like, these are the rules. We're doing this. Yeah, uh, you get to win a teeny little trophy, and the trophy has a little goat on top of it. Super cute. But um, that's fun. That's cool. I don't think you could do that for modern. Yeah, the <laughs> one of the one of the biggest perks for Commander is. And one of the biggest like safety nuts that it, that commander has is it's opt in, opt out at all times. Yes. Everything everything is based on mutual consent, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not something that I really considered as a you know an early deck builder. Like I was Ooh, just yeah. trying to, I, I played at a shop that it was it was a little sweatier. You know, like people were playing strong good stuff, so you felt compelled to build strong good stuff decks. And at a certain point, it did take the um, it took the shop owner or you know some of the the regulars to say like, hey, let's switch things up, let's do something mm-hmm. different. And it really expanded people's horizons and opened people's minds to all these other different possibilities. And I don't think that I'd be the brewer and the player I am today without without David saying like, hey, let's just switch things up and see what happens. And it turns yeah. out. People were saying like, "Hey, this is what I've wanted all along," or "Hey, th- this this is something that I've missed for the longest time." And mm-hmm. I think I think sentiments like that are something that sometimes they require a little bit of work to make work, yeah. but once you do it once, that next time gets that much easier. Building that <clears throat> nostalgic deck the first time, you do have to do all the work going through through your old bins and everything like that finding your old cards or digging up your old deck list on deck stats if anyone remembers <laughs> that website tapped out for me that mm-hmm. mine was tapped out sometimes there is a little bit of work to find those decks but once you find it and once you build that first deck it's like oh wait now i want to build my buddy johnny's uh like old combo deck that they played when we were like 14 years old i think that's you you have you have me thinking about all like the old the old decks that I used to play, and like now I want to build the you know these new decks that I want to play, but in that old style. Yeah, I think, I think it's fun to revisit that. Yeah, go to your roots. You know, see where you started. Ties back to last week, where you know there, there's just some decks that we could never get to work, and maybe all it maybe all it takes is a shift in perspective. I I. I genuinely think that's what it is. It, it, it's the shift in perspective. Uh, and here's the deal. A year from now, I can guarantee that we're going to have differing opinions about this. And that oh, is yeah. perfectly Absolutely. fine, natural, and okay. We could probably go back to saying that fetch lands are, are the best. And you have to run them. And if you're not, then you're playing commander wrong. I mean, who knows? It doesn't mean <laughs> I have started running fetch lands again. Yeah. <laughs> but they are in the artist proof deck. Because based on the restrictive nature of that deck... And Sam Burley doing a lot of fetches yeah. recently. Uh, those are just cards that I can get. Looking at cards that you would never run or just didn't like running before in a shift of perspective might change your opinion on them. Yeah. So it's just it's it's something to think about. It's really funny that you say that because I got um, a secret lair diabolic tutor from my from my brain dead purchase. Somebody mm-hmm. Uh, a fantastic, beautiful individual was able to snag me a hat from Brain Dead at uh, Magic Thirty Vegas because I wasn't able to attend. Um, and with it came a secret lair, Diabolic Tutor. Uh, Diabolic Tutor is not a great tutor; it's a four mana tutor. I have secret lair tutors of Grim Tutor, and I have a Judge promo of a Demonic Tutor. But like, I really want to run that Diabolic Tutor because it's yeah. a secret lair, and the art is sick. And there's not many of them out there currently, and I'm like. It's objectively not a good card, but I really want to play it anyway. Every, everyone has cool. that objectively <laughs> bad card, quote unquote, quote unquote bad card yeah. that they love. And the 
like my favorite decks are the decks that are built around making those quote unquote bad cards the best card. Yeah. And then that's not something that I did in 2016, 2017. I would never have tried to do that. I I said this the other day when I was talking about my Ignacio deck. In all honesty, play what brings you joy. Do what brings you joy. Yeah. Um, and and be open and honest. I remember. I I know this is going like a little off off base for just a brief moment, but I feel like it's a good thing to end on. Is um, you know, uh, Kess was talking about you know not being really secretive with like what your deck does and stuff like yeah. that. And like, yeah, we, magic we could do a is whole, it, we could do a whole episode on that. We really could. And I feel like we should, but oh, um, there's you know, a sneak peek for next week. There we go. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's a communal format. You want to, you want to have people leave feeling like they had a good time, even if they lost. And I feel like that your deck, you, the way you build your deck, the way you interact with your deck does that. Like there have been decks that I've taken apart where they're strong, they're objectively good, they're powerful, and they were good. Like my MEL deck was killer, but I took it apart because I felt like I was making people unhappy every time they left my stream because it was just pretty consistently oppressive. And mm -hmm. I didn't really like doing that anymore. And so like, I'm not saying, oh, you're, if your deck is powerful, take it apart. Not at all. I'm saying like having that conversation, I think at the end of the day, it always boils down to having that pregame conversation, having that rule, game, rule zero conversation. Rule zero doesn't always encompass, hey, I'm running an illegal commander. It's, hey, this deck runs <laughs> six tutors yeah. and seven stacks pieces. Like, I feel like I would want to know that if I was going to get yeah. invested in the pod. And, you know, like if you like that deck building style, cool. If you like playing vanilla creatures, cool. Talk about it. There's a there's a time and place for every card, and unfortunately, for, or sorry, fortunately or unfortunately, um, yeah, it is uh, it is the onus is on the players at the table to figure out what's going to mesh well for the experience that they're going after. Could not agree. There are some you know suggestions and. The philosophy, you know, the commander philosophy document is a suggestion. They believe that that is the best experience for commander. But if you find yourself differing from that and you find like-minded people that agree with you, mm -hmm. great. But that's the type of thing where you want to be open and you want to be, you know, you don't have to divulge every single possible secret and lay out the entire deck and get individual improvement for everything. Oh, yeah. Of course. But you should probably tell your opponent if you're running a stasis. Yeah, yeah, like, genuinely. That, that's, 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 really, that's really all Cass is trying to say. There's your sneak peek at next week. But, <laughs> you know, I think people go through this evolution as a player and as a deck builder where they're not necessarily mm -hmm. cognizant of their opponent's when they're building their deck. And I think mm -hmm. it's becoming a lot more common as a baseline um, to be more cognizant and appreciative and understanding of your their opponent's time and yeah. experience when they're building their deck, and you know that's a that's a very like macro level idea that I'm glad is a micro that I'm glad is a macro level of thinking mm -hmm. for the format these days. Yeah, but I know at one point as as a brewer, I was not that brewer. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad I'm not that person anymore. It, it it's it's definitely a, a process. That's that's why I say like when you when you deck build when you play Magic, you're always going to be going through cycles and stages. I don't think you ever stop going mm -hmm. through those if you, as a Magic if, if player. You, if you stop, then you probably stopped playing the game altogether. Or or, <laughs> or, or maybe or maybe you do want to sit and reevaluate things. Yeah, because um, the last thing you want is for things to feel stale and. For you not to be having fun because it is a game it's the yeah. whole point all righty friends thank you so much for watching uh this week's episode of bad at magic if you don't know who i am my name is chase also known as manic herbs i'm a commander content creator i stream paper commander thursdays sundays at 6 p.m eastern on my twitch i do deck building tuesdays at 7 p.m eastern and i also write articles for star city games and i'm at ek plays cards on all the things i work behind the scenes with all of your favorite content creators like Shivenbot and Ailey and Olivia of Elder Dragon Hijinks. So if you're supporting them, if you're supporting me, you can support this show by leaving a like and a comment and subscribing and all that kind of stuff because you've made it this far 
in the episode, which means that it's not much of an ask to have you do one little extra little bit of a thing. Uh, you can find this show on Spotify, Stitcher, all your favorite podcast platforms of choice. But you can also find this show on YouTube. And that's a big thing that we've been trying to focus on is having the show be visually engaging. And we talk about a lot of cards on the show. So being able to look at the cards while you listen to us blab on for an hour is an awesome way to round out the experience. If you haven't done so already, hit the subscribe button and all that kind of stuff. 